What could loving your neighbor actually look like? Welcome to the Journey with Care podcast, your online community of sojourners who are growing more loving in neighborhoods all across Canada. We'll navigate into hot topics about child welfare, faith, and reconciliation. Be challenged with real-life stories and honest conversations that will inspire you to love others well. We're glad you've joined us on this Journey with Care. In this conversation, Joel Calabrese and I discuss some difficult topics around living missionally as a church here in Canada. Joel begins by sharing how he grew up in the church, engaged in missions early on, led teams across Canada and across the world, and more recently has been learning with the North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies. Connecting with Indigenous peoples in his community has been something that has been part of the fabric of Joel's life for some time. And as an archaeologist for several decades, Joel is fascinated by digging into history in a very practical way that shapes our engagement and relationships in the present. Join us and see what sparks Joel's imagination and perhaps yours too will be inspired through this conversation. Difficult and yet beautiful. Well, Joel, it's so great to have you here in the studio. You are a friend for a few years now, at least six or seven, I would think. More than that. Well, it's great to have you here and and be able to have a conversation. We've had several great conversations, which has sparked the idea of having a chat here that others can listen to. We're we're neighbors of sorts. Uh, I live here in Nova Scotia, as some of the listeners know. I'm here in in Mi'kma'ki, and I live in what we call the Valley, the Annapolis Valley. And you're just about an hour and a half away in Truro. Yep. And I know that you are a son, you're a husband, a father, you've got some kids at home that just had birthdays. Tell us a tiny bit about your family, maybe, and, and give, us a, give us a sense of who do you come connected with here? Yeah. Do you mind if I just sort of talk about my, my ways of knowing and being? Please. My Acadian great-grandfather, Hilaire Gauguin, trapped, hunted, and fished well into his 80s and lived into his 90s, Sri Acadien, giving we great-grandchildren an opportunity to know him. My settler ancestors were fishers and coal miners. I was born and raised along the Willistook and now reside in Mi'kma'ki in Wigwambigdik, the unceded and traditional land of the Mi'kmaq. And I'm a treaty person with the Peace and Friendship Treaties of 1725 forward. Began learning and engaging with archaeology in 1993. It was the thread that held uh, my Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of New Brunswick together. I've worked regularly in contract archaeology ever since and participated in several uh, surveys and excavations, assessments. 2003, my wife and I joined a not-for-profit and an international Christian mission organization full-time. And we lived and traveled all over Turtle Island, extensively through Northern Europe, as well as time through India and Thailand and other places. Left that organization recently and started a research and consulting business. 2015, I had my first encounter with Nate's, an Indigenous learning circle, and I got to say that my life has not been the same. Hmm. And I continue that journey with these people who've helped me to understand so much. My wife and I have been married for 22, almost 23 years with three kids, ages 6 through 12. We are a neurodiverse home. I like to write and create artwork and play role-playing games and for rootedness that this path of the good way with creator continues to center uh, me and my family and my relationships 
it's just a, a way of, of introducing some of the, the connections and those things, particularly with land and treaty that I think are vital and important, regardless of the discussion that you're having, places you within the context of the land that you have relationship with, which is, I think, an important thing when it comes to discussions of family as well. That's beautiful. We're excited to be starting a new series on this podcast very shortly. And a couple of questions that we're going to be asking in that new series are, what gets you up in the morning? So what really first thing as your eyes open, your mind wakes up, what is it that gets you out of bed and gets you running with your day? And then a second part to that question is what keeps you up at night? What are those things that just sit and stir and mull over where you'd like to see movement, you'd like to see change, you'd like to see things happening perhaps in the church and in missions? And you know what is really on your heart as you engage in your community? Obviously, what's maybe most natural, what keeps you up in the morning is your kids. Um, for those of us who are parents, <laughs> that's what gets you up in the morning and keeps you up at night. That was me last night and me this morning. Yeah. But beyond that, with that question, what is it that first sparks for you when I ask that question? I think the thing that, that I continue with is having uh, not-for-profits and faith communities and a small business around this this land engage with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. There are certain calls to action that are specific to those groups, and some have engaged with them, some engage with them on a, a broader, sort of larger denominational level, but that does not often happen the individual community level. And so I'd like to see more of that happen. And that's one of the reasons I've sort of pivoted into what I'm doing now is to is to help facilitate that. Uh, ever since I've been working with or learning and, and being part of Nates or, or other things, a lot of times church folk, their response, their, their thing that they say to me is, oh, I'm so glad you're you're working with those First Nations people. But in that, what they're communicating to me at, in that moment is that they're glad that I'm going in and I am telling a First Nations community a thing. I usually flip that, which makes for an awkward conversation for them because I'm addressing some of that internalized racism and colonialism that they are participating in within a church context. And I say, well, you realize they're my colleagues, right? It's not like I'm ministering to them or something. That they, These are my colleagues. They're, they're the people that I work with and learn from. So they teach me things. I'm learning from them. They're not less than. I'm not some parent that's coming in. They're my colleagues. And I've been working alongside Indigenous people for decades. They're my friends that I work with in archaeology. The people assumed I was the expert going in and helping people. And I think that is just confronting those assumptions is a huge deal. It's a huge mm. deal in, on a Sunday morning in a church context or, or whatever. And you've had experience, Joel, in being part of the church in many places across our nation and, as you mentioned, across the world, India and Thailand yeah. and various other places where you've mm -hmm. led missions teams, you've led discipleship training schools where you've been helping lead and shape the lives of, of Christian young people and inspire them to head out in mission. And, 
And there's been a shift over the years, as I understand, in your mindset on that, which you're, you're, you're bringing us to that place where you've had encounters, you've had relationships that have been transformational for you in that. Could you tell us a little bit of a story, maybe just tell us a little bit more about that journey where, you know, you grew up part of the church and, hey, let's, let's engage in missions and disciple people and then realizing there's some pieces here I don't know. Um, you know, I grew up quite a rule follower, right? Like if this was the rule, then we did the rule and it fit well within the church context. Probably started to question the rules, you know, around 18, 19. I didn't think other people believed as strongly or not maybe strongly, but they didn't, it didn't seem to all line up. If they said this thing, then they should be doing this stuff. Hmm. If we were supposed to be helping the poor, then why aren't we helping the poor? Uh, why, why aren't we doing, you know, a lot of these other things that we could be doing as a church community? Or if we're like, and I think that's what took me into mission stuff. Because I thought, oh, well, here's a group of people that have said, oh, this is what Jesus says, so this is what we're going to do. Which is how I perceived it at the time. But I also, I was learning from people with a lot of different worldviews through my life. And not simply a white Western worldview. And not simply a white Western Christian worldview. And those things have changed me. So there were always these places, these seeds planted, these thoughts and ideas of what the rules are. (laughs) Hmm. With this journey between books and relationships and archaeology, my work in archaeology has, has connected me with the land in a very real way. And it also has broadened my sense and understanding of time in a real way so that I don't, I don't necessarily think of 10 years as a long human time. Hmm. It's a long time in somebody's life, in an individual's life. But as far as humanity is concerned, it's nothing. If somebody says, well, we've always done it this way, or this is the way it always has been, I'm like, no. This is a a blip. This is an anomaly. This is, you can't even begin to say that this has always been this way. This is helpful to to journey with you a little bit. So you grew up in the church. You have this sense that there's rules and they need to be followed to do the right thing and be connected in community. and, And then this sort of realization that, hmm, maybe some of these things are missing the mark. Maybe some of these things that I'm feeling like I, I should follow. Maybe there's a bigger story here. Maybe I need to contextualize some things. And as it sounds like as you grew, you know, into your, you mentioned your late teens, you know, that period entering adulthood for many of us, there's a, there's a transition there. We start doing some, some thinking for ourselves. And, and at that point, it's, it's fascinating to hear your journey where you connected with a group of people. You saw this group of people that was engaged in activating what they were learning through the Word of God and, and in community as Christians and doing this thing called missions, like, well, let's let's go and do something, you know, let's care for people, let's tell people about Jesus, not just sit and talk about Jesus ourselves. I feel like when we go on mission somewhere else, we're a bit more open than as the church we might be with those who are right here in our neighborhoods. Do you feel the same that openness to, to culture and contextualization, which is what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't know if we are more open, but 
what we are is already more disrupted. We're more willing to accept the strange and the things that we are unfamiliar with because we are already disrupted in, in that mode. There are some that are possibly reflecting. That might cause reflection on things when they come home. I think if you're going on a trip to learn from a community, learn from elders or, or whatever, that you can go and and be learning. You can be uh, somebody who's following Jesus in that kind of a learning journey and be there, work with other people that are part of what we call world Christianity, the plurality of expressions and streams of following Jesus and, and experience some of those uh, various things that we can learn from and acknowledge. And even as some denominations engage with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's reports and calls to action, it does not necessarily become a holistic activity that affects how one is trained or learns about mission stuff or or that kind of thing. Even, I think, as as we ran discipleship schools, I was already thinking this way. At the time, evangelism was one of the things that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do so much time of evangelism. And so I cracked open that egg of evangelism. So, look, it's not exactly what we think it is all the time. Unless there is a, a deeper connection with the understanding of world Christianity and just a general understanding of Christian history, how the church came to be in lots of different places in the world and how it's expressed. And I've always wanted to help other people appreciate that context which is, that has been the thing that I've learned most about archaeology that has impacted my entire life, is context. Hmm. Tell us more about that. This is why I hate looters. People that just pick things up and take it. Unless you're indigenous and that's your stuff. That's, that's a whole other thing. But I'm just generally. So all archaeology is destructive, right? By digging into a place and excavating it, you're going to lose all, all of that story. Because the context is the story. If you find this artifact uh, on the ground, whether it's an arrowhead or pieces of a, a flaked tool or a pot or whatever, everything else, there will be other things within context of that artifact being. And there might be uh, evidence of the people that were living there or what people were doing there or the type of food they were eating or, you know, like. There's a greater story to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And if somebody has just dug a hole in the ground and taken that artifact being out, you've lost the story. You've lost the greater story because it's no longer connected to that place. So that's why archaeologists take a lot of notes, a lot of pictures, video, all that kind of stuff. You know, use all the geophysical survey kind of things like ground penetrating radar and and magnetometer searches and all that kind of stuff to get that information, the fuller story. And an archaeological site, it is an instance of human relationship with the land. And that's how we should think of it significantly, is an instance of human relationship with the land. And that the land holds these things in trust. So context context you can't just grab a piece of a thing and not understand the whole context around it and i i think the same way of 
Christianity. That you can't just grab a piece of it, not understand the context, the greater story of what's going on. And so in the discipleship courses that I ran, I tried to bring in a lot of that greater story of how did we get here to this place and what's going on around the globe and what are, you know, what are some of these other things and what's the greater context of this? What's the greater context even of the Bible? And so to bring in some of that context, and I, and I think the hope is within the growing world church. I do hope more people begin to look at that, not at a homogeneous expression of church, but at the plurality and the beauty of the world Christian experience and movement. Well, you're painting us a very interesting picture, Joel. As Care Impact, we're sitting in this space. We want to care well for children, youth, and families in hard places. And if we look at the stats, many of those folks in our communities around the nation of Canada are from what we would call minority cultures, many of them from indigenous cultures, indigenous nations, and their ways of knowing and being are different than would be immediately comfortable for me. So there's this disruption that we can invite ourselves into, isn't there, Joel? Like you say, when we travel to another place and I'm walking down the streets of India, the sights and smells are already disruptive. I recognize I got to change some things to try and, you know, figure out how to even live here, let alone share Jesus here. But here on my streets, I can walk my streets and park in my garage and be very comfortable. What would you say to people who they want to care, Joel? They want to care for youth and children and families in hard places, but they're just finding that, how do I get a little bit more out of my comfort zone? I don't know if I'm ready to start you know, a, a learning stream with, with the NATES, the North American Indigenous Institute for Theological Studies. I don't know if you know I'm, I'm up for a master's or something like that. I don't know if that's where, my space, but where can I begin to engage a little bit more? What can I do uh, to let myself be a little more disrupted, to understand those around me a little more so I can experience mutual transformation? Yeah, returning here to this land after you know travel and living different places, I began to understand it as, as the same. This land has, has a long history, a long relationship with humanity, and it's, for the most part, the relationship with humanity is not with white people. It's not with settlers. It's, it's with indigenous people. And so I think we need to understand that. We all need to enter into learning about that in a lot of ways. And you can do a lot of things, you know, and, and learn about long history and learn about colonial history and learn about how the fact that you are comfortable walking down the street and parking in your garage, but uncomfortable smudging and maybe going to powwow. That is colonialism continuing to function well and do what it's supposed to do. That's what that means. That colonialism continues to work and it's working well. And so I think it's it's all of our efforts to engage in a way that that does change that about ourselves and our journeys. And whether that's in the church or, or not, as far as things that you can start to do, read books. You can go to the, the, the Nate's website and get some of their academic journals and read those if that is more your speed. Or you could, Lee Miracle's Conversations with Canadians is a great book. Challenging for settlers, but important and, and a great book. Robin Wall Kimmerer's uh, Braiding Sweetgrass is great. 
And I, I think going to nativeland.ca, I believe, and learning about the land you are on, whose land it is, who has been there and lived there, and the treaties that you are part of. The treaty is not just for Indigenous folks and government, but everybody who lives here and lives on this land is a treaty person. And so that's why it's important to know the treaty of the land that you are on. If you don't know, once again, this is this should be something that you learn at school. Like This, this, this is just basic mm. stuff, man. Just like you learn about how different levels of government work, you should learn about treaties. But you don't, because colonialism still working, still keeping that knowledge away from us. And so we have to make up for it ourselves uh, in individual learning journeys. You can learn the language of the people of the land that you're on. Most indigenous languages are, are threatened with extinction, and the whole language is going to end. So, you know, just start to carry some words around. You know, your pleases and thank yous and some of your numbers and things like that. Incorporate them. Like I would do when I went to India or Thailand, right? Yeah. So try to understand how to say thank you in the indigenous language of the land that you're on and incorporate that into your spiritual practice. Thank you is a big thing. We, we thank Creator every day, every night. We thank Him for food. Just start with that one word and incorporate it into your spiritual practice. Listen to podcasts. Pam Palmeter is a great one. She always has great people. There's a lot, like, it's, and frankly, it's a low bar because we're not doing a whole lot. So it's not like, to get better, you don't have to do much. And, and if I were to frame all the things that you've shared, there's a learning from that sense of the reading, the listening, all of that, and a learning with, uh, a, a growing yeah. in relationship with. And we've talked quite a bit today about mutual transformation, this, this idea that when we walk into relationship with others, especially those who are different from us, uh, we experience transformation, both of us do. And this is a, a positive and beautiful thing that God has wired us in that way. And that, and that is really the way that I think you and I, at this point in our journey, see that mission happens is this sense of mutual transformation. We're learning about the Creator from and with each other. And we talk a lot as Care Impact at the heart and core of, you know, meeting the needs of those from hard places is to ask the question, you know, what's below the surface of the evident need? What's going on below the surface? And as we dig down, we seem to always come to this place where the understanding that the deepest need the deepest brokenness is relational poverty. It's this sense that it's not a lack of resource in Canada that there are those who are without. It's a lack of connection. You're talking about relationship or connection with God, with ourselves, even understanding our own selves and our own thinking and our own feeling and our own ways of knowing and being. Understand that it's also relationship with others around us and especially those who are, who are more different than it seems similar to us. And then relationship with the land. So God, self, others, yeah. and the land, this, this trinity of relationships that's happening connected to the land that God placed us on back in the garden. And so we're in this place of experiencing relational poverty and disconnection and intentionally coming back into connection really is, as, as you and I have talked about this, this word reconciliation. Colossians 1.20, that Jesus is reconciling all things to Jesus, to himself. We think, ah, to a Western way of knowing and being. Now, actually, he's not reconciling all things to a Western way of knowing and being with God, but actually to Jesus. And that Jesus, he walked and talked in the contextualized way that the people walked and talked in his time. 
And he's calling us to do the same. And so how do we walk in a way that dissolves relational poverty, that experiences mutual transformation? You know, you sharing these, these resources, and we'll get lots of those into the show notes for folks, but ways that we can, as you say, just even start the journey. And starting in our own backyards, Joel, as you've invited us, like you live in Mi'kma'ki. And, and so what about the people in your area? And I love how you found specific ways as an archaeologist, as just a general community member, there are so many ways that we can engage. If you were to, to leave, you know, one inspiration for our listeners in this space of beginning that journey or continuing that journey, perhaps they're already on, what would you say as, as a way of inspiration, encouragement, as Canadian Christians living here on Turtle Island, how do we introduce ourselves into this journey of connecting with those in our communities who are, are different than us? Here are a few things. Do your own personal reflection and, and do some archaeology on your theology and dig into your own theology and put some context and story to it. You know, who told you that? Where did it come from? Why do you believe that certain kind of thing, particularly with things that disturb you and bring up that unemotional response? It seems like a lot of church communities do a book study once a year or a few times a year, have different book groups. There are a lot, uh, you know, a significant amount of Indigenous authors following Jesus that you could incorporate. Your church should be doing that, particularly in Canada. In this land that we, that we now call Canada, this is something that it has been, it's part of how we think about things, the, this aspect of reconciliation with the R-E in parentheses, because I don't know if there's ever been conciliation to be R-E'd too. So, Richard Twiss's book, any of his, Mark Charles's book on the Doctrine of Discovery would be a good one as well. And they have questions in them that you can go through as a group. They're, they're built for group discussion. So get everybody in the church reading some of those. And if they are not even part of what you are think, the church leadership is thinking about incorporating into their church, I think that needs to be discussion. Mm. And that's sort of that, an internal thing the church can do. And I've talked about the personal individual reflection kind of stuff of archaeology or theology. But I think just start celebrating with people. Hmm. Go to powwow. There are gatherings and celebrations and dance competitions and things like that. And try to get your church group, your whatever community to go, whatever community is willing to go. This, this is an obligation for everybody across Turtle Island, is to build that relationship. This is the land we're on. These are the treaties we're part of in any of those things. This is something uh, Elder and the organization used to be part of, say. Jesus was a carpenter. He lived in downtown Nazareth for 30 years. Part of the community, just part of the everyday community. We should be part of the community. Hmm. Like how, how do we do that? This is the community. Well, I love that, Joel. And just to draw our listeners back to the, the few things you shared. I love when I asked you, what, what do you encourage folks to, to engage with? Do an archaeology on your theology. That was beautiful. And, and to look at some of those things uh, below the surface, those, those actions, those, those thought patterns, those things that we have that are just wrote, have a, have a look as a way of connecting and dissolving relational poverty with our neighbor. Very interesting. It might not be something that I would have thought of right off the bat, but you from your journey as a Canadian, as a Christian, as somebody who's been involved in missions and now sitting in this space of connecting intentionally with Indigenous communities, not to shape and teach 
those that you are connecting with, but to experience mutual transformation. And so that journey, that who that you are, that you bring to this space, even today to this conversation is beautiful. Do an archaeology on your theology and then inviting us to pick up a book, not just by ourselves, but do it in community. I love that. You know, dissolving relational poverty amongst us, that we're having these conversations together about these difficult topics. Great to listen to podcasts, but then sit in discussion with somebody else about them. Get somebody, get a friend listening to that podcast with you. And I love the celebrating with, because we, we can invite others to celebrate with us in our community and they may or may not be ready for that, but we can say, I can do the uncomfortable thing and step into somebody else's community and celebrate with them and realize how much fun it is to actually celebrate with others. Thank you. Those are such practical things that we can go out and we can, we can engage tomorrow. And you've given us a whole list. We'll, as I said, get some of those things in the show notes. And, and I just love hearing from you. I love talking with you and, and the perspective that you bring. Um, having Ray on just, just recently is, is so shaping. And then having somebody that I, I can connect with a bit more uh, directly culturally and say, you're on a journey more similar in the sense that, that you grew up in as a white kid in, in a Canadian church like me. So we started with the question, you know, what gets you up in the morning? And you've taken us down a, a long trail, but really just to bring our listeners back to remind them what you said. You said, if we could, as the church, just take action on a few items from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And just to hail back to what Ray shared with us in his podcast, we were dialoguing about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission a little bit, and I found it fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and before listening to Ray, I didn't really sit with the understanding. It was actually Indigenous people that have set the table. It is Indigenous people who paid for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It's Indigenous people in Canada who are saying, we want to have a relationship. So as the church, this is an invitation to us. The table's already been set. And so you, what gets you up in the morning, church, the table's been set. We can go and sit at that table. We can go to the celebration, to the power. We can begin to learn. We can begin to be in relationship with our neighbors. They've already asked for it. And before this and, and today, we've, you've mentioned it a few times, the treaties, that we are actually, a treaty is, is, is a relationship. I think whenever anybody uses that word covenant, the church, the church's ears should prick up and get into that conversation. If we are told that we are part of a covenant already as people of, of this land, we need to pay attention to that. Let's talk about this covenant that we are part of. Hmm. Because it is a relationship and it's an ongoing relationship. That's beautiful. And and I know you've written a paper recently on the word decolonization and uh, where did that word come from? Your comment was in the paper that when we are unfamiliar with the term decolonization, colonialism is likely still strong in its intended purpose in us. And, uh, and for the listeners, if they're interested in, in your paper, I would let you talk about it more. But uh, in the interest of wrapping up our conversation, is there one last thing that you want to leave sort of as an inspiration, encouragement, and probably that word disruption has come up a lot, maybe a disruptive piece that, that just keeps you, keeps you going? You know, as you're hitting the pillow at night, it's probably heavy in your prayers. What is it that you care to share to the Canadian church? Uh, that people would practice imagination of what things could be. Hmm. And it helps when you have already imagined different scenarios, when that disruption happens, to not react in a negative emotional way, hmm. but to react in a, a positive emotional way. Like it's, you're, You've already worked through it in your head. Astronauts do that practice. And imagining the worst case scenario, worst case scenario, and what's going to kill you next, what's going to kill you next. 
But then in that moment, when that happens, you've already imagined it and it doesn't feel so bad. You've already worked through it and practice that, you know, so it doesn't freak you out at the time. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's just a, an imagination exercise. A, a lot of athletes use it too. Uh, they'll imagine the court, the swing, the, uh, you know, Formula One drivers imagine the course that they're driving uh, and they'll just sit there in a chair, close their eyes and imagine that kind of thing. That's not necessarily something that we talk about a whole lot within a church context. And I think that's what we need is to have some Holy Spirit inspired imagination going on. Joel, that's a beautiful way to wrap up our time together as you wrap up your days with this imagination practice and and inviting us into this space of practicing imagination with you. So let's let's engage our imaginations and stretch those boundaries and uh, see where does God take us as a Canadian church. We want to care well for those who are in communities who are in hard places, who are carrying trauma, who are carrying intergenerational trauma, who are experiencing relational poverty, and we can experience mutual transformation together. And I think you and I even have in this short conversation today, Joel. So thank you so much for this time together. And I look forward to more conversations with you. Thank you. Merci. Wallalan. Thanks for listening to the Journey with Care podcast, where paths connect over real life stories and honest conversations. We hope you continue to join us on this journey of faith, reconciliation, and loving our neighbor. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impacts, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church across Canada to effectively journey in community with children and families in hard places. Learn how Care Impact is transforming the way churches engage child welfare with our Care Portal technology and academy training. To support this podcast or learn more about us, go to careimpact.ca or follow us in the show notes. We're so glad you are part of this journey with us as we journey with care, even in the messy. Until next time.